0: Good morning. Thanks. Welcome to In-Town Community Church. Glad that you're here with us, whether you're here or whether you're online. Yo, I'm struggling today. I was going to start out with two surprises, but I already did that. (laughs) No, I wanted to start out and say, uh, yeah, we're starting with two surprises. And the first one is that it's January but we're still going to talk about Jesus' birth, okay? Like we don't forget, we carry it into the new year, but I don't have like a special 2022, new me, like new year sermon for you. So we're going to finish up our, this, our uh, series on the significance of Jesus' birth. And the second surprise I, ha- I have for you is that all of your nativity scenes are wrong, okay? We'll talk about that later. We're looking at Matthew 2 because last week we looked at Matthew 1, and last week, Matthew 1 is establishing and emphasizing Jesus's divine nature, okay? And now we're in chapter 2, and it's going to be emphasizing and establishing Jesus's human nature, and as it does that for Jesus, it's also going to show us our own human sinful nature, actually. And I kind of want to start out with a question of just, how do you come this morning? How do you come? Some of you are excited that it's a new year, right? Like, new year, new me. Yeah, I'm an Eeyore, so I don't do that, so. But if that's you, that's okay. Uh, Some of you might be mad. Mad at the things that happened or didn't happen. Some of you might be sad. Some of you might be like, meh, whatever. Kind of indifferent. My wife asked me the other day, are you indifferent right now to what we're talking about? And I was like, eh, whatever. (laughs) Maybe you feel that way. (laughs) But however you feel, I want you to think about that as we look at three characters in our story, okay? Okay. We're going to look at how these three groups or characters come to Jesus in the story. And it's going to be the insider, the stranger, and God. And you might say, what? how does God come to Jesus? What? It's a mystery, and we're going to talk about it later. Okay? So you've got to pay attention as Becky reads for us. She's going to read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. That's
1: what it's got right here.
0: Okay, good.
1: All right, our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him.
0: Thank you. With the reading of God's word, let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Please pray with me. King Jesus, we come to you this morning. And Lord, we want you to change our hearts. We want to see how amazing and beautiful and incredible and powerful you are. We want to see your grace and your mercy so that we might live out fruitfully through the Holy Spirit, building your kingdom. If you're our king, we want to build your kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that you would um, guide my words and guide our hearts in what we think about and are convicted of and are challenged in and aren't encouraged by. So I pray that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Who's the insider? So we're going to talk about first. How does the insider come to Jesus? Well, the insider might be surprised. The insider is Herod the King. Okay? See them talking about in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise man came from east to Jerusalem. Herod's the insider. Because Israel, the nation, was under the rule of the Roman Empire, Herod would have made himself the default king of the Jews. He would have made himself king of Israel and said, I'm the king. So he knows that. He knew about the Messiah. And he actually rebuilt the Jewish temple that had been torn down. That was one of the things that he did. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. And you see in verses one and two where these wise men are coming to him and they're coming to the king, they're coming naturally to his palace and saying, hey, where's this new king of the Jews? Where's this new king of the Jews? And what do you see Herod respond with? Verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And not troubled like, oh man, I spilled my water. Or like, oh, man, my team lost yesterday. Troubled, like, I don't put up with competition. I eliminate it. I eliminate the competition. My wife was competition, and I killed her. My son was was competition for the throne. I killed him. Another son was competition for the throne. He killed him. You don't want to be on the trouble list of Herod, right? Because you're going to end up dead. That's troubled, okay? So make it bigger than just a simple idea of trouble. He's troubled. And he's got these important guys, right, who have gotten an audience with the king, and they're saying to him, you know, like, hey, we want to see this, this new king of the, the, the Jews. And so he does what? He brings in the chief priests in verse 4 and the scribes, and he's like, hey, where, where, the, where was the Christ born? And they told him in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the city that God had promised the Messiah would be born in. If you go back and look at Micah 2 and, and look at 2 Sam, i am sorry, Micah 5— and Second Samuel 5, you'll see these prophecies about Bethlehem, and they're kind of mushed together in verse 6. And that's why in verse 5 they said, "'In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, "'And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, "'are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. "'For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel.'" You can see why the king of the Roman Empire is a little troubled, right? He doesn't want competition. This is a big deal. And so he summons the the wise men. He's like, hey, when did this happen? When was it? Tell me the time. So he knows, like, where he's born, and he's trying to figure out, like, was this, like, recently? Was this, like, a month ago? A year ago? Like, how long ago was this? And he's like, I I just want to know so I can come worship him, too. Right? That's what he says in verse 8. You guys go find him, and then tell me, and I'll come worship him, too. Right? You know what he's really going to do. Right? He's going to take out his competition. He's going to take out his competition. And you have to understand, like, usually we read this passage and are like, oh, Herod the king, he's so dumb, he's so, like, evil, he's the villain here. And really, what this passage is showing you, that without God's grace and mercy, this is the kind of nature that you and I would have as humans. A sinful nature. A nature that says, oh, you're the king? Uh Uh-uh. I don't want that. If you're the king, then I'm not. If you're the king, then I got to give all my stuff to you. I don't want you to be the king. I want to be the king. There's no competition here. We're doing what I want to do, right? And so our first response kind of is like, oh, it's rebellion. Like, I don't want that. That's not what I want. And as humans, With our sinful nature, that is who we are and what we do. And this showing of Herod is showing us, like, deep down inside, this is who we are. This is what our human nature represents. I mean, go back to the beginning of the Christian story. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, what do they say? I don't care what you command me not to do. I'm going to eat this anyway you might be the king. I'm doing what I want to do. You don't tell me what to do. I do what I want to do. Okay, so even all the way back, you see in Adam and Eve, there's a betrayal of God, and as sinners, that's what we do when we sin. We betray God. We rebel against his authority. We rebel against him as king. If he's king, I'm not. And Paul talks about this in a number of his letters. Romans is really popular, so I'm not going to read from that one. I'm going to read from Ephesians. He talks about how we are followers of our own desires of flesh and sin. And so Herod is representing us, actually, in this passage. Right? If you don't have God's grace and mercy, you just live for yourself, and you're the king. You're the king. And so Herod's trying to figure out where's this Messiah. And Herod is actually given a, like, an opportunity to respond in the right way. Right? Like he's like, okay, the Word of God shows me that he's in Bethlehem. How about I go to him and worship him? Well, no, he doesn't respond that way. Instead, he's like, oh, I'm king of the Jews. You know, I know where he's born the Old Testament has been fulfilled. i got to find out where this guy is and kill him. Like He had the opportunity to have a proper insider response, and he doesn't. He has the opposite. He is a, a, he's a troubled murderer. And you know what he does later in, in chapter 2, verse 16? He goes and he kills all of the males in Bethlehem that are two years old and younger just because he thinks if I wipe them all out, maybe I'll get Jesus too. So you see, he's troubled, and he's a murderer. And if you think about ourselves without the grace of Jesus, without the grace and mercy of God, without the Spirit working in our lives, we are troubled and murderers. Our own hearts, our own minds, when it's just about me, that's who we are. That's what we do. And Herod is serving as a warning here that without the mercy and grace of God, this is who we are, and we cannot dismiss him. Right? We just can't cast him aside. And so when God is prompting you to obey him, when he's prompting you to do what what he wants you to do, you do it. Because not doing it is betraying the king. And not doing it is going to end up in sin and brokenness and hurt and pain. And that's what we see here. So Herod comes to Jesus in rebellion and murder. Well, who's the second group? I said stranger, but it's strangers. How do the strangers come to Jesus in the story, right? The strangers are the wise men. If you have an NIV Bible, it might say the Magi. Okay? So these wise men, they come from the east. They're coming from another country. They're coming from like Persia or Babylon, uh, and they're very important men, and so they would have had an entourage with them. They wouldn't have been just the three of them. It would have been a, a big group, and they're important enough to go try to find this new king of the Jews, and they get the audience of King Herod. So you know that they're a big deal. If the king's like, okay, you can come before me, Right? If these strangers just show up and he's like, oh, yes, give them, give them my presence. And when you, they're called wise men or when they're called magi, you need to think of them as actually priests and mis- mystery religions, that's how one commentator put it. Priests and mystery religions back in Persia and Babylon, they would have been very into astrology and dream interpretation and sacred writings, which is where they would have come across the Old Testament prophecies, and magic. Okay? So they're very into the stars. And when the star shows up that Jesus is born, they want to check it out. They want to go to it, right? Right? It's fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. It's fulfilling this sacred writing that they would have come across and they would have studied, and now they're going to it. They're responding by going to it. They're going to it, and where do they go? Where do you go when you want to find a king? You go to the king's palace. You go to the castle. If he has a castle, go to the castle. Right? And that's where they go. And where, what are they saying in verse 4? You know, they're saying where is the Christ? And that's why Herod is going, hey, where is the Christ? Where was he born? In verses 5 and 6, they know this prophecy from Micah 5 and 2 Samuel 5. They know this prophecy that he's in Bethlehem. And this Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, scholars talk about how far they would have traveled. They would have traveled about 800 miles to get to Jerusalem. So like, what's another six, you know? 800 miles. That's a big deal. And so they figure out, okay, it's six miles to the south. And so they're going to go. But what what does Herod do? Verse 7, he's like, hey, shh, come here. Come here. Where are y'all going? When did y'all see that star? When did y'all see that star? I'm just curious. I, I just tell me the exact time again? Right? So, what does that tell you? They weren't at the manger. That's why all your nativity scenes are wrong. My mom has the willow tree nativity. You know, all the figures. And I like to take the wise men and walk to the other end of the house. <laughs> and, them. and I'm like, well, I'm just trying to be biblical. Like, well, My wife won't let me do that. (laughs) But my mom, I do it to her. So Herod says, you guys go find him, and I'm going to come worship him too. The word of God says Bethlehem, but Herod doesn't go. And these wise men are guided by a star. And what's interesting is, like, that's what they would have worshipped. And it's so, I, I just feel like it's ironic that God is using their God to guide them. Right? He's using this star to guide them where they uh, are going to go. It had led them to Herod, and Herod had the word of God. And so the star had led them to the word of God. And, what, and both groups heard the word of God there together, right? Like the insider and the stranger heard the word of God. And the insider responds with rebellion and murder. And the strangers re- respond with, Faith, tell us where to go. We'll follow you. We'll go to Bethlehem. Let's go. So they start to go. But then what happens? You see that the star reappears. Like God's like, I'm going to help you even more. Right? And He takes them and He takes the star and He sends them on their way. And how do they respond? Verse 10 When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Right? They were overjoyed. They were pumped. They were excited. Like, okay, we're going to get to find this guy. We're going to get to find the king of the Jews. This is going to be awesome. And so they start to go. And what does it say in verse 11? And going into the house, <laughs> God said, I'm going to use your God to bring you to the real God, the king of the Jews, and I will take you to the front door. <laughs> right? I will take you to the house that he is in. And that's what God does. And you see how these strangers come to Jesus in verses 11 and 12. 11, they go into the house and they see the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And those gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, are gifts that in the Old Testament were given by kings and queens to other people, or given to kings and queens by people. And so it's showing this royalty here of them offering up their treasures. So you see the strangers, the strangers outside of God's people The strangers are the ones that respond in faith. Okay, well, what about our third group, God? How does God come to Jesus? Well, God comes into the world as a human, right? He takes, it's like, think of it like he takes part of himself, and that's the Son of God, and then he's going into the world as a human, limiting himself, diminishing his powers, right, like reducing himself down to a human and saying, I'm going to come into this sinful, broken world that you guys have messed up as a human. Now, I'm not—my father is God, not a man, but my mother is a human. So, he comes in and says, I am going to be the Savior. I'm going to be the Messiah. God says, you're going to go in and represent humanity in great lowly, lowliness. And God is doing that in great faithfulness because he is fulfilling his Old Testament prophecies. Now, what else does he do? He brings these strangers to faith in Jesus. Jesus. And one commentator points out how like, this is a divine invitation for these guys, for these strangers. It's a divine invitation because he shows them the star when Jesus is born. He brings them on this big journey. He takes them to the word of God. He takes them to the house of the king. And they get to see him. But here's one of the things that's interesting. Do you know that when that word magi is used in every other place in the New Testament, it's bad? It's frowned upon? They're described as idolaters. They're described as uh, people with bad reputation. They're people just who had a negative view of them. And in God's mercy, he takes these Unlike astrologers, right? And in his grace and his mercy, he shows them, hey, I'm going to guide you to this place. I'm going to guide you to this king. I'm going to take you to the actual king of the Jews using your own God because I'm so gracious and merciful. That might have been the only way that they followed because he uses their own God. And so God says, I will do that because I love humanity, and I want them to see the king. And so God uses that to show like his power over creation, over nature, over stars, and he shows his salvation. And how do these strangers respond? We've already said it. like they've, They're overjoyed. They worship. They worship the real king, King Jesus. They worship King Jesus. And another thing that was interesting to me in Verse 12 is talk, and talks about how they leave in—let's see, it says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, you think, okay, that's a different direction, but it's also—it's kind of playing on words— it can be also a different state, right? Like, these men are captured by God's mercy and God's grace— they encounter Jesus, the king, and they are changed at the core. They bow down and worship him. Like, forget all the stars, forget all the astrology, forget all the magic. This is the king, and I want to worship him. I want to do what he says. I want to do and follow him. And just the fact that God is bringing these strangers to Jesus, bringing them to salvation, like it's showing you God is for everyone. God is for all people. God is for the people who are on the outside and the inside. God is for everyone. Right and in John, the Gospel of John, talks about how Jesus is the gate, it you know, opens from Israel to the whole world. There's this openness in this for all people sense that the king is for all people. And that's what God is doing here. No one is too far gone. No one is too bad. No one is not good enough. Anyone can take the mercy and grace of God. Anyone can follow Jesus. And what else is interesting, too, I found this out reading, so it wasn't like I figured it out. But the book of Matthew, like, how does it end? Right? It ends with the Great Commission. He sends them out. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of Jesus, right? Sends them out. But how does Matthew begin? Matthew begins with a genealogy that includes four Gentiles. So you already see there's kind of this open area. But then here... It's like he slings open the gate and he, he starts with Gentiles. He brings salvation to these wise men who were from different countries. Right? He brings salvation to the wise men proving that the gospel is for everyone. And so the book of Matthew that ends with the Great Commission actually starts with an invitation to the nations. Isn't that cool? I didn't know that. All of it. Brianna talks about in, in opening the, the service. Like, the gospel is for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all everyone. Okay? Let's not reduce him down to just one place or just one country. He's for everyone. And he has mercy that he wants to shower down upon us and shower down upon the earth So that all can believe. He wants the insider and he wants the stranger. He wants everyone. And he's willing to do it by becoming a man, by becoming Jesus. So he enters this God. (laughs) God comes as Jesus. Okay? So last last part, last question. Well, I got two. How will you respond? How will you come to Jesus, knowing that he's the king, king of the world? How will you come? How will I come? And there are a few different things I wanted to point out. One, he doesn't come in a castle. He doesn't come in a a king's palace. He comes in a nasty manger that smelled like um, stuff, right? Right? He doesn't come in a palace or a castle. He comes in a nasty manger. And what does that mean? It means you don't know how God is going to fulfill his promises, but you know that he will. And it means you don't know why God does the things that he does. And I know if you're anything like me, there are times where you're like, what are you doing Why won't you do this, God? Like, it's a good thing that my commute is short from here because I pray a lot and it's loud in my car (laughs) because I'm going, what are you doing? Why? I don't like this. I'm angry. I'm mad. It's not going the way I wanted it to go. And there are going to be times where you don't know and there are going to be times when you're angry at what God is doing, because you don't know. And what I'm saying to you, this might be a shock, is take it to Him. There's a third of the Psalms that are like shaking their fist at God. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why is the story going this way? Ah. There's a whole book called Lamentations in the Bible. Ask Siri what that means after this church. Okay? Like, Lamentations is expressing sorrow, deep sorrow, over what's happening. God wants you to bring your vulnerable, raw emotions to him. If he's the king, he wants you to bring those to him because he wants to help you with them wants to help you with them. He can handle your raw, vulnerable emotions and anger. Second thing, he's born under the rule of a bad man, right? King Herod, not a good dude. Murderer, right? Why would Jesus be born under the rule of a bad man? I don't like that. You know, like, how does that apply? What does that mean? It means that you and I need to pursue difficult people, Right? Ministry is taking the gospel out to people. It's taking the gospel out to hurting people. But it's also taking it to people who are difficult. Right? Like, it's easy for me to want to go share the gospel with my friends who, like, we get along and we can talk about sports and we can talk about life and we can talk about our kids. But the guy who, like, annoys me a lot, I don't... Do I have to talk to him? Yeah. Yeah. Ministry is about you taking the gospel to everybody, even the difficult people, even the people who you might think hate Jesus. That's who the gospel is for. And without God's mercy and grace, you and I would be in that camp. Last one. The text says what a response would look like. I asked you, how would you respond? Well, here's what a proper response would look like. You see it in verse 10 and 11. You see that they rejoiced exceedingly. They worshiped and offered up treasures. Okay, so it begs the question, what's your treasure? What's your treasure? What is the thing that you love talking about? What is the thing that you're like, I will do anything for this? What is the thing that you value most and your life is aimed at getting it? Could be money. Could be looks. Could be reputation. Could be your kids succeeding. I mean, it could be a billion different things, right? It could be your vocation. It could be power. It could be college football. Too soon? Is that too soon? <laughs> could be college football. <laughs> When we're, like if you look at verses 11 and 12, you see these strangers responding the way that they do. It shows us that when we are captured by God's mercy, we will want to worship by offering our whole lives to King Jesus. You will want to make Jesus your treasure. And the thing where you say, all of this in my life is going in that direction towards him. All of it is going to King Jesus. My whole life, everything about it. And what's beautiful about that is that when we submit to King Jesus, his Holy Spirit works in us to produce fulfillment and and hope and love and purpose and comfort and endurance and I could go on and on, but he produces all of this fruit in your life because he's your king. That's how he works. And so I'll just finish with this. Like, Herod comes to Jesus in rebellion and murder. Wise men come to Jesus. The stranger comes to Jesus in faith and worship. And God comes as Jesus. Right? God incarnate. That's who Jesus is. He comes into this sinful, broken, messed up world because of us. And he says, you guys can't heal yourselves, so I'm going to heal everything, and I will redeem all of it, and I will make all things new. And by his grace and his mercy, he does, and he freely offers it to you and to me. And he says, I want you to experience it, and I want you to share it and take it out to the nations, to everyone. So I'll just finish with the question that I started with. How will you come to Jesus today, this week, this month, New Year? How will you come to Jesus, your King? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you would take your son, take part of yourself, and by your grace and your mercy, send him into the world in ways that we would not expect, but in ways that were so much better than what we expected. And he is there for us that we can embrace him, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time or the millionth time, we can embrace him, that he invites us to bring our vulnerable, raw emotions, that we can bring them to you and you understand them and you want to help us with them. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you for your word that we can study it and that we can see the significance of Jesus' birth. And we pray in his name, amen.